0: I always say, if it moves and you can't see anybody moving it, then that's probably automation. I like the contact that we have during the creation of an act. Unbelievable to see all the set changes live in front of you instead of like the old days when the curtain drops in.
1: I don't think that's true, Craig, at all. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the Theatre Art Life podcast, and hello. We're putting the spotlight on those who create live entertainment around the globe,
2: the culture creators and the backstage masters. My name is Anna Robb. And my name is Anna Aguilera. On this episode, we will be talking about automation to Craig Price.
1: Craig has worldwide touring experience in theatre, arena shows, big top circus and special events. He has focused on automation since 2007, but he has also served as a stagehand, stage manager and company manager. Craig, welcome to the show. Hello. How are you? We are wonderful and we're really glad to have you, uh, our first automation representative on the Theatre Art Life podcast. Welcome.
0: Thank you very much for having me over. It's a pleasure. It's an honour to be your first automation guy.
1: Lovely. (laughs) Tell us about your path. Uh, in the entertainment industry, and then also because probably when you started you weren't in automation to begin with, So, and how you ended up in automation. When I
0: was a very young man, I don't know, 19, 18, something like that, I had a job at the Manchester Opera House on Phantom of the Opera. I was a flyman. It was kind of like a, obviously an evening job because I was show crew, and that kind of helped me get through college, and it also then helped me save up money for what I really love to do, which is travelling. I was working there because it was in Manchester for quite a long time, that show, a couple of years. I did that. I saved some money and then I went to Australia and I did the whole backpack bumming around Australia thing for a year. Uh, working in theatre jobs, funnily enough, I actually got a job at the um, Opera House in Sydney just as um, show crew and stuff, which was great to do. All my friends are out fruit picking and I'm going to Sydney Opera House. It's what amazing. year was
1: that?
0: That was 95,
1: 96, something like that. Oh, there you go. I yeah. was there a little bit after the after you, I think.
0: 2002 right. I was there yeah it was a great time I, I I have this reoccurring dream of my walk to work from Circular Quay to Sydney Opera House amazing and I it used to be a reoccurring dream of mine all the time so it must have had that much of an impact on me
1: unbeatable view unbeatable it oh, it's just
0: great <laughs> and then when I came back from Australia I went to uh, live in Holland and I lived in Holland for a, a few years, about three years, and I worked on a show, Miss Saigon, there. Again, one of the crew guys in, in the wings, I was tech ASM. wasn't an ASM as we know it. It was more of a, a wing carpenter kind of job in charge mm-hmm. of the wing. So I did that. And then um, after leaving Holland, I then got a job. I was actually jobless for a little while because it was hard to get into a theatre job in the UK after that. But then I worked at the... The Lowry, which is in Salford, Manchester, which was one of these new Millennium arts projects, things that were going on at the time of the two thousand. And that's probably where I really cut my teeth in theatre. All the rest of the jobs, which I loved and did, and they were all important to me, they were kind of like crew jobs. This is more a job where, at the start, it was all setting up the theatre and installing the theatre, and then we were a receiving house, and then we would receive ballets. It was mainly ballets and operas. We liked to do the high-end stuff that came Mm -hmm. in. And I was there for a year and a half, and then I was I got a job in Edinburgh as the assistant production manager there for their shows. That was a that was a production house. Did a season there, and then I got into stage management. Uh, I did uh, the Com, Com Games in two thousand two as a uh, stage manager for a couple of segments. We call them segments in those big events, and that was something that stage management I, I really wanted to do. So I did a few gigs after that, small. Theater productions, and stage management, and then I found myself. My friend asked me if I wanted to um, do some automation, and I'm on Miss Saigon, which was currently touring the UK. And I was like, "Well, I don't know anything about automation, like, that. you know." Um, and he goes, "Well, yeah, but you know the show. You worked on it for how long in in Holland? It was the it's the same show, you know. You know the show. That's half the job. So I thought, yeah, okay, why not? So I kind of got into automation through." doing Miss, uh, Miss Saigon because I did it previously in, a, in another job. So went on from that, then went back to stage management for a bit and some company management in there. And then 2007, a job on Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, the UK of that, flying the car on Chitty. And then from that, did some work for the RSC through that. I met the lovely Andy Marshall, who brought me to um, the House of Dancing Water training the formation period. Which was in Lint in Belgium for that was about a year. And then after that, Cirque um, asked me to join them on the road. It was at the time in a big top, a show called Kidam, which is now retired. And then they um, asked me to take it into arenas. So then I did arenas around the US and Europe and everywhere for quite a long time. I was with that show. And then I did a couple of other shows with Cirque. I did a creation with Volta. And then my last job, I was working for head office, not in Montreal. I was actually working from home, which was great. And then I would go off and help the tours. My, my title was Automation Globetrotter. What a great title for a job. Oh, so, that sounds
1: amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Very fancy. Uh,
0: so I, I, would, I would help the tours out. I would go on tour, help them out with whatever project was needed or if they needed someone to fill in for them or if they needed to be helped out with programming or something like that, I would do that. And then if I had any other projects, I could do the projects from my little house here in Halifax.
2: Why do you decide to stick to automation and not go back to stage management or company management?
0: Well, the honest answer is, I, so when I took that job on the automation job for Miss Saigon back in the early 2000s, I did it because I wanted to be a better stage manager. Because, I'm, you know, you see these big productions and something would go wrong and the automation guy would just talk gook to you, and like, oh, what's this guy saying? So I wanted to find <laughs> I, for me the initial thing was I'd be a better stage manager in that sort of thing if I could understand what they were talking about. So by learning that gig, that would make me better at doing the stage management gig. But as it was, when I returned to stage management, even though I really did love it, and I think my skills are certainly with people, I found I just I kind of missed automation. I found it so exciting. It's um, mm. Just it's a job like no other, I think, really. And you you have so many things to play with and toys and stuff. So that's how I ended up going back into it. I kind of left the stage management role behind a bit. I mean, who knows? Maybe one day I'll return to it. I don't know. But uh, I I really enjoyed the automation side and I got offered a job and I
1: thought, well, you know what? Yeah, that'd be great. (laughs) And most of your training in automation and still to this day there's not a lot of access to training and education in automation apart from on the job or with uh, companies that provide the automation systems, right? So you all of that, all of your knowledge has been acquired while, while working with regards to how you do your job. Even now, you know,
0: automation is going to be going on as long as I've been working in theatre. Well, but It still seems to be a bit of a dark art, certainly when it comes to training. There's a lot of misunderstanding about it. And I know there's, there is now... The more training being developed in colleges, so if you go to if you go to a university, particularly a technical specific course there, there's always a segment for automation but yeah there seems to be you know a lot of people who do automation come from a rigging background or um, a lighting background, sometimes sound, but mainly I would say lighting and rigging because they have a technical thing in their head and as as I say it's changing a little bit more through programs in universities and uh, I think there's a school now in the States. I'm not 100% sure about that. From my point of view, I did no training in it at all. <laughs> I, I learned on. I, I was very lucky that I had some great people above me who cared and were happy to share knowledge. They did. And, you know, that's. I, I kind of learned on the job. And, you know, that's one, for me, one of the most important things is as a boss, as a HOD, as a whatever, is to be able to share that knowledge and create good people from underneath you.
2: So what, what do you have to do? What Who is an automation technician? What, what do What's this dark art?
0: This dark art is, okay, an automation technician is they have set pieces of, of set on stage and these things move around on their own. Or you have people flying in the air, if you have more of a circus thing, or some theater shows as well, people flying in the air. I always say if it moves and you can't see anybody moving it, then that's probably automation. So by manner of winches or hydraulics or actuators or anything like that is that's how we will move the things around on stage. The automation technician, his job is to make sure, first of all, that stuff is installed correctly. That stuff is looked after and made safe and maintained. Then that stuff is placed in the right setting. And the stuff also, to an extent, gets programmed. So you can move that around. So if I was to say, what's an automation person do? He's at a desk. He will hit a button on a desk when told to by the stage manager. And that desk will then communicate with a rack, the brain, as it were. And then that will communicate to an axis. An axis is um, a piece of kit that would help to move something. And then that axis... Will move according to what the brain has told it. So it's that's probably the easiest way I can put the automation. What an automation tech would do,
2: assuming that person installed everything as it should beforehand, right? Well, if it's a touring show,
0: if it's a touring show, the chances of that person installing it are fairly high. Obviously, they <laughs> get they get they get help, freelancers and, and whatnot. Resident shows, obviously, it's a, it's a it's a bigger thing. Resident shows are generally bigger than touring shows for obvious reasons. But yeah, so for me, the automation person has a good knowledge of different disciplines of what to do. So it needs to know about computers and software, obviously. Programming the particular piece of software which would move around those sets because everything is pre-programmed in automation. Mainly everything is pre-programmed in automation. So you hit a button and that winch is going to go from that point to another point at a certain speed every single time so just from one hit of a button the only time you should actually use the joystick is if something has gone wrong and you need to you know get it out of the way
1: and how long does a you know a system that is on tour take to set up say for example whatever the last show was that you were working on you have a kit that you bring into the tent and you set up how long does that take to put together check all its safety you know so it's ready to put a performer or a cast on stage with it
0: if you go if you go for the tent shows, um say like the last big show that I did with Walter, everything's done in stages. So your first day where everybody else is say putting up the tent and doing, you know, setting up what we call the 54, which is the technical tent area, you can be starting to do little bits of your stuff, like um laying out your feeder cable around the outside of the tent. And you'll do a, a different thing every day. And it's all and everything works in association of where everybody else is at in the day as well. So where carpentry are at, you know, if they can do, can you plug that piece of set in? Is it built yet? And also, you know, with lighting, there's a lot of stuff to do, uh, certainly with with the circus stuff, there's a lot of work between you and the riggers. Basically, the two the two jobs go hand in hand. So you, you will wait around for riggers and they will wait around for you. So to put it nice and clear, probably about to build a big top and get everything in is about five to six days. I would say and then the testing of it initially, you would completely test the system, um you do the bump checks, and then you make sure that the weight checks are fine, and then you would have the artists the performers go on it, and the next day they're doing a doing a, um, a test with them on so i it takes about a day, I would say for the whole process, and then mm-hmm. a morning. That's if there's no problems. There's normally problems, so you know it's. Uh, <laughs> there you go. Then you got to sort the problems out.
1: So it's nice when you you sit in the city for a while or do a long run, so you're not pulling it in, pulling it out, pulling it in, pulling it out in terms of the gear, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, I've done arenas and I've done um, big top as well, and it's weird because big top is it's a heavier thing because you know you've got you've got things like bleachers seating in the way. You need to think about that. Where are my racks going to go? Is this cable going to get? split in two by a bleacher and then you know where you're going to go into the set and everything like that and it's in, it's quite hard because you build your own little village with the arenas the arenas are designed more for speed so there's a i'm not saying there's more thought gone into them but they, they they build it with the fact that we need to get this show in in a day and we need to have it pulled out of the arena in three hours otherwise you know, we can't do it i kind of enjoy both to be honest because, you know, with, a, with arenas, if you're, in a, if you're in a city, that's really not great. It's like, oh, we're only here for a week, thank goodness. <laughs> but then, you know, if you're, a, if you're in a city that's wonderful, it's like, oh, I've hardly seen the place. So, but obviously, for obvious reasons, sitting down in a place is quite nice because you can get to feel a little bit more at home there. But there are always plenty to do. There's always lots of artistic trainings and stuff, as you will know.
2: <laughs> so besides um, the the training Anna was mentioning that the manufacturers provide and some some schools. What what would you suggest for people that are just starting out? How how do you get better at being an automation technician, or how do you even start? Like, let's say I've done some stuff, but automation, I have done any. What would you tell me? Oh, you should now do this, learn that.
0: That's yeah, that's a good question because that's because uh, <laughs> I'm not going into it from from this side, but. My advice would to be when you go when you go into the job, and if you have a job in a theatre or in whatever types of the arts, if you can manage to find to get to work with that department is always helpful and to see what they do because there's not so much information about it. but there is there is some stuff online. there's 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 certainly books out, there's training courses, professional training courses you can do online to do with the electronics and hydraulics. And if you have that kind of thing behind you when on a CV, when applying for CV resume, sorry, when applying for a job in an automation position, maybe more of a junior position, that would be stuff that is always recognized and understood. And people are like, okay, this, you know, this person is really hoping to do this. So and that's the best way to go in and is get as much knowledge as possible about what the job entails and the job entails everything to be honest if you've got computers you've got mechanics you've got hydraulics you've got winches you've got electronics it's it's all there you know so if you can get some kind of knowledge of that it's fairly obvious what you want to do and I think you'll be taken seriously when you put that on your resume but also I mean there's internships that that you can do as well certainly I know that SERC does internships through colleges I'm not too sure about here in the u k there there are there are ways and means of, of getting into into the whole thing
1: I think it's you know it's one of those uh aspects of theater that's just growing and growing right so i I certainly would have my time again I'd probably want to try and get into it as well because I think it's a good good place to be in in an emerging market when you think about like aside from the technical stuff now from a creative perspective. What, what, do you, what do you like about automation being used in shows? What scenes or what shows do you think are really using automated elements to, its, to their capacity that you admire, um, that you've seen, heard of, watched on YouTube? What, how do you think the best usage of this is in shows?
0: Back in the old days, you remember the old days? you used to watch a show the old days. I'm have like an ancient <laughs> or something. <laughs> um, You're
1: not that old, Craig. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> but, um, you know, you'd watch a show, curtain would come down, Two minutes later, curtain would go back up. Set would be different. It was like, okay, yeah, this is standard. This is what happens. You need to do a set change. And um, but the whole fact for me that with automation is the automation becomes part of the show. So you see that set change. You see uh, Phantom of the Opera. The you know the opera boxes come in and the whole the whole thing turn around from an auditorium into a manager's office. And that for me, when I was watching that, when I was I think I went to see that in the West End when I was fifteen or something, I was just amazed by it. I'm like. This is incredible. I want to see more of this. And shows have become like that. And for my back to the question is like, which my particular favorite is like, there was a scene in, I'm going to say a couple of examples. So, like for me, one show that I operated was Miss Saigon, which was the touring version, which came fresh out of the West End. It was a, very similar to the West End version. There was a sequence in it called uh, The Nightmare, Kim's Nightmare, which is basically the helicopter scene. So you've got a mass movement of so many set pieces coming up. You've got an office coming on, you've got embassy walls coming on off, going to various different positions. Then to top it all at the end, you have a helipad rolls downstage, And then this great big hydraulic helicopter comes in, lands on stage. All the Marines get in, flies off again. And it's all very dramatic and brilliant and it was a very compl- <laughs> really complicated one to actually operate. There was a, a lot of axis movement at the same time. You had trusses you had to get out of the way in order for the helicopters to come in. And for me, that visually, as an audience member, was just the we used to I, well we used to call it. I used to call things in musicals like that the chandelier moment because you had the big one in Phantom of the Opera where the chandelier would fall down. Spoiler alert. And into the, into the, onto the stage. And so I think musicals, they had their chandelier moment. And that was Miss Saigon's chandelier moment. And I thought that was amazing. And that's what automation brings to theatre shows. Uh, it, it makes it um, unbelievable to see all the set changes live in front of you instead of like the old days when the curtain drops in. Mm. But the, I think the piece that I was most in awe of was... In 2004, I was a, a stage manager for the Athens Olympics and there was a, an automation sequence which I had nothing to do with, you know, it was just me staring at it basically. But what it was is you had this huge Greek mask head, can't think of the actual word for it, classical I remember head, this,
1: I remember this. Come out this. of the ground
0: and it was a seven-story mm. building underneath the field of play and it came out and it was this, this big head and then all oh, the fancy music and nice lights and everything and then it would explode, and it exploded. And there was a Greek torso, and then the torso exploded, boom, again. And then I think there was a smaller mask, then that would explode. So these are all on different lines, you know, different rigging lines. And then finally there was a man in the very center running on a cube that was moving around. And then all the, the set pieces from the original mask were then changed to screens for um, for video. And I remember seeing that, and we watched it. It was the night of the dress rehearsal, and if they didn't, and it went wrong all the time. It's constantly going wrong every night.
2: <laughs> and <laughs> it was
0: like, if we don't, if we don't get it right tonight in the dress rehearsal, then we're cutting this element from the show. Wow. As I can, I don't know what the budget was for that, but I'm guessing it wasn't cheap. I remember watching it and it went right for the first, we were invited to watch it because our, our, kind of our gig was finished at that point and it was up to the automation. I remember watching it. And I, that was the most incredible thing I've ever seen. I was like, that is absolutely amazing. To this day, I'd, I'd, really, I'd really like to do an automation gig in a, in a big, you know, something like that because i've I was absolutely amazed i think that's kind of what got me thinking about automation again as well because mm-hmm. at that point but yeah those are the two two that i always blow me away
1: i would imagine that in that inception period and also th- there's got to be a lot of you know again if we talk about the old days a director would direct actors on a stage and and that would be their main role but now their vision has to work really connected with people, technical people and automation people to understand what is the possibilities with automation and to create those spectacular moments that are now visible so it's not just a functional scene change or a, a helicopter coming back in and out but really maximises the automation to enhance the artistic experience. And, and do you feel like what is that, I mean you've done one one creation I guess with Volta and, and how did you see that uh, evolve between the creators even the technical people as you work through those because even you've got to go back from the drawing board to decide what automation you're going to use in the show right so how does that process evolve from from the beginning
0: yeah well obviously the automation that we use in uh, in the circus stuff is there's a lot of flying acts with people flying around in the air so but essentially the automation is needed so everything is exactly the same every single time you press that button you know so there's It it goes. It's nice, nice straight linear line, and there's no problems. I think pieces of set now, with certainly with Volta, because we had a few big ones in there. We had a huge cube at the back, which would act as kind of part of the set, and it would also be a video screen that would open out. And we also had three huge hydraulic lifts in, and they would they would form part of the character of the show as well. They would be something to do with how a city was built and everything. So. And I think this was thought about by the creatives at the point that we're going to make this. But these part of the cast members and everything, as regards to the way that the um, the creation is done for the artists using the automation for with the winches and being levitated into the air. Uh, that's a long. That's a long process which takes time over months. You try something out, you try a trick out, you try, and then this is where a relationship is developed between the artist, the coach, and whoever's programming the automation. It's it's and that's a, that that's one of the things I like about automation, particularly is you have a bond with the creatives, which uh, I don't I don't want to say no other department has it because they do, but I think it's something special because you're actually physically moving them around in the air. That's that's what I really like about the job and there's a there's a trust element between the two and if you 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 know they trust you. And um, you know you you trust what they say to you, and with the stuff that they're happy with, and that they think they're safe with. So that's that's nice. But with regards to actually creating the show, there's a lot of things in shows which get left on the you know editing room floor, as it were. So you don't you you could be working on something for months, and then all of a sudden, now yeah, we're scrapping that. That's going to go, and that can be infuriating. But it's part of the gig. It's. Uh, mm. It's uh, less so, I think, I imagine it's less so, because that, that's something in, in circus which never changes. You never stop being creation. You could have a show, I did, I did a show called Kidama, it was 20 years old when it finished. I was still programming acts for it, new acts, because I was there for the last few years of it. And so the creation process is ongoing, it never stops in a circus, whilst theatre it's more regimented. You can't do Phantom of the Opera and say, oh, we're going to put an extra scene in. So it's like, no, 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 that doesn't happen. <laughs> so, so with this, the show that starts out, if you want to see the premiere of a show in Macau, Montreal, Vegas, whatever, that would be a lot different to the show that you saw, you know, if you saw it five years later, it'd be a totally different show. Not totally different, they, they still have the running theme, but there'll be many aspects which are different because they're always trying to improve. That's the nature of, that circus and that's the nature of you know how we do things with volta with my last show I was always looking to improve it
2: so you you've mentioned the olympics in athens in 2004 and then as one of the artistic or the this automation act that you like the most and then we're in 2020 so that's 16 years yeah How how has automation changed, or how is how has it evolved in the past? Let's say twenty years. What have been like big changes in the industry that have affected how we do shows today?
0: Well, from that, I mean, from the time I've been doing it, certainly, because even though I saw that thing in Athens, it it could, could have been done by magic for all I know. Just in the short last five years, six years, there's been companies developing software and. And ways to do things with stuff where the sky seems to be the limit there doesn't seem to be anything that you can't do with automation these days I mean everything is there and automation and lighting and everything the whole aspect I mean you've got holograms now appearing in shows and everything it's absolutely incredible I think that for the touring the touring side of things things have got big but you can't have too many big things going on tour because it takes forever to put them together. Like an example is, I think British theatre was very big. You'd sit in a venue for three months, and you but you take two weeks to build it. it. It's not really cost effective. It's taking you two weeks to build a show to put in a theatre. So, I think now the with with the touring theatre, the shows automation wise are getting slightly smaller. So they 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 can be fitted up in like a day, a day and a half, and they can do a two week run and move on to the next venue. I think the days of the grand, big, big shows in theatre might have come to an end simply because economically it just doesn't work out you know, that well. I don't know. I'm not a theatre producer. I know nothing about that. But that's just my opinion of what I've been seeing. But the the amount of things now with automation you can do, and it's also got smaller as well. I mean, the racks back... I'm, I'm going to reminisce again. I remember when I was doing Phantom, the automation racks were up on the fly floor of the Opera House, and they were huge. These massive things. This was back in '93, and I remember you'd have five or six guys with their heads inside these 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 racks, which were basically in a load of road cases, <laughs> s- swearing at each other and talking on radio. And um, and now everything is just so shrunk down to things you can get away with having one rack can carry a, a series of many many drives in it to to move different automated elements. You can with tall with only you know five or six pieces of kit with you basically in fact one other good thing about automation is you generally have the least amount of kit when you compare to lighting and sound <laughs> you go, oh, well i've got my racks and i've you know i've got some cables will bring it on so i think as things get smaller they're getting a little easier and also with the way that software is being developed and the way that the brains involved in automation now are just incredible. Some of the people that they have working on it are geniuses, man. It's just, they, gosh, they make me look terrible. <laughs> but, uh, you know, these, um, I, I think this, uh, these are good times for automation. Um, I, I'm hoping that it carries on progressing with the kind of, because now that it's still a dark art, but it's becoming less of one. I think now you're getting people and they have a real passion for for stuff like this. And it's not, you know, it's, it's, they want to see stuff come, they want to build things um, and they want the audience to enjoy watching them move the things that they move. You know, it's, as I said, it's become part of the show now.
1: Yeah, I think one of, the, one of the realms where there's still a lot of money spent and a lot of innovative stuff is happening is in the concert realm, you know, with, I know, some Taylor Swift does some big automation sort of sets and stuff that moves around and, you know, they've got the money to do that as well as, um, you know, Pink... She does a lot of flying in her show, and, and and I think that's where, you know, like you said, with Cirque shows and and other touring shows, you you, you may be constrained by budget, but uh, some of those pop stars have got lots of money to burn and put on an impressive show. So it's wonderful. To I always look when new concerts come out to see what. What's happening in the entertainment realm in terms of their their ability to use automation? It's always quite inspiring, especially, I mean, I may not ever get to work on those things, but it's nice to see what they're doing. What's your most favourite thing about your
0: job? The thing I like about with automation in particular is I, I, I like the contact that we have during a creation of an act with the performer or with the coach, with the stage management. I feel like we're really involved in it. I feel like it's... Us out there as well, there's a, an artist, uh, Danila, she's a great girl. She always used to do, when she used to do the act, she'd be like, this is our act, we're doing this together. I'm like, yeah, we are. So, and that's just that connection with it. And I'll talk more about the, the performers, the artists on, on circus shows, because as I say, it's it more of a progressive thing in, in the circus. But you feel like um, if they trust you, then you're, 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 you're safe. It's it's great. There's a, if that element of trust, you know. Hopefully, you don't ever want to lose that trust. Thankfully, I never have, and I have a good relationship with them all. And it, yeah, I like the the part that you can you feel like you're part of the creation of something new. It's not just kind of hiding, hiding around, skulking about, and stuff like that. Because that's what I do. I like to skulk about. Yeah. So. <laughs> so um,
1: I don't think that's true, Craig, at all. <laughs> <laughs>
0: And, and when you look at a more general thing, the people I work with, I enjoy the people I work with. I enjoy the people I work with because we all have one thing in common. They, they, they could be totally opposite to me in their character and the way that they are. But the one thing we have in common is we all do this because we love the arts. Mm. And I remember someone said to me, I was doing a Zoom thing a, a couple of weeks ago, and they was like, well, Craig, you could get a job in um, a manufacturing automation. And I guess so. I guess, yeah, when you take it over the 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 skills that I have I can I can then bring into the manufacturing world into regular kind of automation like in factories and things but I do it because I like the arts that's probably why I've done so many jobs within the arts because I like the gigs I I do the job for the arts and not just to be an automation guy I just like the whole thing and that's that's the one thing that everybody has in common in our job you generally you don't get people doing it for the money let's face it you know it's they, they do it because there was a little thing captured in me as a little boy that I loved. So I wanted to become an actor because, you know, when you're a little boy, you just think it's the actors, don't you? But then <laughs> I realised it was the whole concept of creating something. And the theatre for me was magical. And for me, the circus tent has become magical as well. And yeah, that's, that's what I do. it, And we all have that in common. And that's why I'll keep on doing it. I ain't going to work in a factory and do automation. <laughs>
2: If there was anything you could change, what would you change? Whether it's from how automation works or the industry itself?
0: Personally, I'd try and make it COVID free. That would be nice, wouldn't it? So we all, oh, yes. all uh, let's, we, let's we, we have an that industry.
1: Check one. But... one, tick. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, but I mean, seriously, when, when this all leaves us hopefully one day the, the one bad thing about the live entertainment industry i find is that it's massive we all work to massive deadlines it's just basically one big deadline after another and mm. the ultimate deadline is the show 7 30 on a tuesday evening or whatever time your show is it can be very stressful the amount of rehearsals the stuff you have to do you've got people stuff flying people around in the air and big hydraulic set pieces which can crush people's feet you need to kind of look after that as well. So you have the deadlines of your maintenance, your maintenance that you need to get done, your, your daily, weekly, yearly maintenance. You have all of this to consider, plus the trainings, plus your rehearsals, and then the shows and if there's problems. And it really can be quite stressful. No time to do it in. So you could be working very long hours. And then, of course, if you're touring as well, put that element. You also have to get the show out of the theatre that night and put it somewhere else the next day. If there's one thing I could change about live theatre, it would be the stress of it all. But ask me how I can change that. I've got no idea. I guess I'd be, I'd, be, I'd be a richer man than I am now if I could figure that out. If anyone's got any ideas, send it to Postcard, to me, Craig Price, Halifax. There we go.
2: Well,
1: <laughs> then you'll get a whole heap of postcards from all over the world. That would be pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> Craig, thank you so much for sharing with us your career and your ideas about automation. We really appreciate you joining us today, and I hope that you also get back on the road soon with uh, another show after COVID.
0: That could be a great name for a shower
1: after After COVID. COVID. The (laughs) 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 musical. We should start writing that. We've got time, right? Well,
0: it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for, um, for getting in touch with me to do this. It's been fun.
2: Please write our review on our podcast, whatever you listen to your podcast, and let your friends know about us. You can learn more about Theatre Art Live by visiting our website at www.theatreartlive.com and you can also follow us on social media and leave your questions and comments on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Pinterest, Twitter, or YouTube. We want to thank David Zayer for composing the music for our podcast and Michelle Shirata, who is our sound engineer. We are your hosts, Anna and Anna, and this is the Theatre Art Life podcast, where we put the spotlight on those who create live entertainment around the world.